Welcome to Faith Sermons and Studies with Pastor Joe DeVitro. Let's take our Bibles and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning. As we've been going through a series called Love Reigns, uh, we come to our second sermon in this one in a four-part series. And uh, today we're going to talk about how love reigns over your past. Aren't you glad, now Satan would want you to believe, that you are bound by your past, but aren't you glad if you're a believer here this morning, Jesus Christ has set you free from your past. You are no longer defined by what you've done or what you have been, but you are defined today by one thing, well, one person, and one person only. And who is that? When God has Jesus Christ in his presence, and he says, by what manner should I accept these into my family? What does Jesus say? Behold my hands, behold my feet, behold my side. I have bought them with a price. And because of that shedding of blood, because the perfect Lamb of God died in our place, that means this statement on the screen is true. That because of the love that God demonstrated towards us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, Christ has in essence by His sacrifice eradicated our past. We are no longer defined by what we were. We are defined by who we are in Christ Jesus. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. What does it all mean? If we can be held by our past, if we can be held captive by our past, then all doesn't mean all. It means some or most or a part of. But if all means all, then what we're about to read in the portion of Scripture we're going to look at this morning should be some of the most liberating passages of Scripture that anybody, anywhere, at any time could ever hear. So let's look at it together. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, join me at verse 17, and I'm going to read these verses to us this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting with verse 17. 17. And I love any time a verse starts with this first word. What's the first word? So this is a continuation of an argument. Because of what has been stated to this point. What has been stated? Verse 16 kind of gives you the summary, doesn't it? From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the, what? Your past. You're no longer rendered according to your past. Something's going to happen. Therefore... And anytime there's a therefore, you ask what the therefore is? Therefore. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from who? All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave to us the ministry of You need a purpose to exist today? It's to reconcile people to Christ. God has given to you the ministry of reconciliation, and now he requires us to take up that same ministry he did for us to help other people. 
He gave us a ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of what? Reconciliation. Verse 20. What do we have? First word. Now or again, therefore... We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, if I were to preach this, this passage of scripture out, um, tomorrow you'll get to go home. That's how much is in here, Okay. We don't have the time to even skip rocks across the Mississippi River this morning in this passage. Um, at best, we might make it six feet deep. But we're, by no means are we going to cross the river today in this passage of Scripture. But I want you to see in this passage of Scripture, number one, your past no longer holds you hostage. Number two, you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And number three, if you've been given that ministry... How are you living up to your purpose? You see, God didn't put us on earth to simply live for ourselves, consume of ourselves, and die of ourselves. God didn't leave us here for that. He gave you a mission. He gave you a purpose. He has given to every believer who is alive today a mission, if you will, as his ambassador. And the mission is not simply to get somebody to go to church. The mission is not simply to get somebody saved. The mission is to see reconciliation between a lost child and their father. Now, how much, how, how many remember last week sometime we got an Amber Alert? Do you guys remember that? Your phone, all of a sudden you're walking along and your phone's like, urn, 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 and you're like, what's happening? You flip open your phone or you look at your phone and you read in there, a little child was taken, right? I don't remember his name. But a little child, two years old, was taken. And uh, by the way, they ended up finding him. And he was safe. So praise the Lord for that. But look at the extremes that man goes to to try to reconcile a child to their parents. The police are involved. The government's involved. Uh, people are involved. They're sending out messages. They're telling everybody, there is a lost child and we need all your help to find them. Can I appeal to you or, or, or at least allude to you today? That's exactly who you are for God. God is wanting his lost children to be reconciled to himself as their father. And we are the people that are out there with the cell phones with eyeballs and ears and mouths and, and the ability to share information with how we can get that child back to the Father. The Amber Alert is the Bible. The Holy Spirit is the communication. But you are the witness. 
You are the one who gets to share what you've seen, what you've experienced, and, and how you yourself was once lost as a child apart from your father, and how God reconciled the ministry of reconciliation between you and him. And now because of that reconciliation, you know what it's like, and thus you are sent back by the father to go into the world and share with others how they too can be reconciled with dad. And this is the ministry of reconciliation that's talked about in this, in this portion of scripture. However, the enemy, the one who steals, the one who connives, the one who deceives, Satan and his cronies, they don't want children you reunited with their dad. They don't want that. They actually work against God in that area. And one of the biggest areas that Satan uses to keep people from sharing this ministry of reconciliation is what's going on in their past. What's happened in a person's past. And he uses that weapon so well that it paralyzes people who have already been saved from helping those who need reconciliation. Let me, let's look in scripture. Let's dig through the scripture here a little bit and begin to kind of mine this out. Because last week we talked about how our future is not defined by us, but it's predetermined by God what's going to happen, right? And we can trust him. I mean, how many of y'all heard the good news this last week that there is going to be a global shortage on wheat? Anybody hear that? A global shortage on wheat. You know what? I read about that somewhere. I read that as we got closer to some event, that there would be a shortage of wheat so much that it would cost a day's wage for a loaf of bread. Can you believe that? I wonder where I read that at. Maybe you can help me later. We read that there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. What do we hear today in the news? We found out that there's going to be global pestilence, famine, and disease. What do we see today in the news? Imagine a time where you would see China, Russia, Iran, Persia, all uniting as a, as a power together. And imagine a reunification of the Roman Empire and, and, and that, that joining up together and, and, and then opposing each other. I mean, that's so far-fetched. You would never see something like that occurring today, would you? And yet, what's happening in our news daily? And Israel brokering peace with Russia? Seriously? Wow. And Turkey, boy, good old Recep Erdogan, right? He's kind of he's fun to watch right now. He's playing both sides as a good NATO who buys Russian equipment. Member does. And we see what's going on in our world and how many of us are cognizant that the past Bible stories are telling us what's going to happen in the future. And we, we ignore the past in the Bible, but we don't ignore our past. And instead of believing the past of the Bible, we believe the lie about our own past. And then thus we negate a double negation here. Well, the old part of the Bible, that, that's the Old Testament. That's, that, we don't really need to know that today. Ezekiel 38 and 39 is playing out right before our eyes. 
The very countries, the very names, the very situations that you need for that battle are in our modern time period. And in case we were asleep and you were saying, well, that's just the secular side, that doesn't necessarily mean the end times are coming. Well, let me flip it to the church. Should we? In a day when they will heap up teachers having itching ears, ever wanting to come to a knowledge of the truth, but never able to get there. If that's not Gnostic teaching, and we have Gnosticism in our world to no end today in churches. Well, if you just had more of the Holy Spirit, you'd be able to see this. John tells us in 1 John, you got all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get the day you got saved. There is no more enlightenment. There is no more knowledge to be had. You got all of them when you got the Holy Spirit of God. You either got all or you got none. That's how it works. You don't get partial, and then you grow into some ecstatic uh, knowledge that is so much higher. The Bible never teaches that. Matter of fact, it teaches the opposite of that. But yet today, we have teachers who want to tell you, well, if you just had more faith, if you just believe more, if you just had more of this, more of that, then this would happen. And you know what? The Bible tells us the end times, that ramps up more and more. Do we have false teachers today? Absolutely. We have false teachers. Do we have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof? Yeah. Do we see people who call themselves believers but live nothing like Christ? Yeah. You say, well, Pastor Joe, that's been true in every generation of time. I don't disagree. But let me ask you this question. When have you seen the secular world and the church at the same time doing it? And we see that right now. How close is the return of Christ? I don't know. But I can tell you this. It says the very church itself isn't going to be watching when he comes. How many of you think Jesus could come in your lifetime? So you know what? The past tells us a lot of information, but the past doesn't define who we are. The present defines who we are. The future defines who we're going to be. But the past tells us where we've been. And where we've been is we've been without Christ. And without Christ, we're condemned to being like the world and doing the things of the world. Today, our government's gravitating towards good or evil. If, it's, if you say evil, then you've already proven Darwinian philosophy wrong. Because the whole premise of Darwinian, uh, Darwinian uh, beginnings is that man is continually becoming more what? Good. We don't see that. You know what the Bible says? Man left to his own devices will always gravitate towards not just evil, absolute evil. It teaches that. He that knoweth to do good, right? What's that a knowledge of? Who's good? God. God is good. He that knoweth to do good, he that has a cognizant knowledge of God and yet chooses to do evil, what is it called? Sin. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no not. There's not even one who seeks after God. You see, man in and of himself 
will always gravitate towards evil. This is why the Holy Spirit of God is so important to the believer because with the Holy Spirit of God in us, it's no longer I, but He who makes me new. It's He that changes me from the inside out. Many people believe that the past is a hindrance to their present and their future. I look none other than a sports team for this one. How many... Hopefully, I don't know if anybody would be alive when this happened, but you'll, you'll recall this from history. Do you remember the story about a team, a franchise, uh, back in 1919? There was a guy named Harry Frozzi. Anybody recognize that name? Probably not, but you'll recognize his sin that he did. Well, quote-unquote sin. Harry Frazzi was the decision maker behind the infamous trade of the Boston Red Sox to the New York Yankees. He sold the most valuable player to the enemy. And because Babe Ruth was traded from the Boston Red Sox to the New York Yankees in 1919, there came known this thing called the Boston Curse. And the Boston curse sat intact, unwavered for 86 years until 2004 when the Boston Red Sox finally broke the curse of Babe Ruth and won a pennant. And for 86 years, because of one man's decision, an entire city and franchise felt like they were cursed, they were paralyzed by their past because of one man's decision. And nobody even recognized his name when I gave it, but you knew the curse. You know what? There's a curse even in our modern day era called the Madden curse. And whatever quarterback or whatever NFL player ends up on the cover of Madden, what happens to him? They get hurt. They get hurt that year and they don't play. And you know what? All of mankind, we have these funny little things that we believe about the past that weighs us down. And you know what? Sports isn't the only place this happens. We can point to other situations and other genres in which the same is true. But do you realize that the Bible, specifically the Gospels, are full of stories of individuals who had shady pasts, who experienced fresh starts when they interacted with Jesus Christ? Our Bible that we read has all kinds of stories about people with shady facts that, because of an interaction with Jesus Christ, made them a different person. Think of the woman at the well. Think about the woman taking adultery in the act. Think of the disciples themselves. Think about all the different characters and people that Jesus interacted with. Verse 17 again of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new is already here. Paul sets up this verse by bragging on God's amazing love that he would offer Jesus life as a rescue for us. This is where we find the word therefore. It's because of God's love that we who are in Christ are a new creation. That leads me to point number one. Number one, out with the old, in with the new. We've heard that before, right? Some of you, when you buy something, that's what you do. If you buy something new, you got to get rid of something 
old. Some of us might need to do that. Maybe we adopt that. But you know, if you're going to put something new in, you got to get rid of something. Uh, how many of you guys ever watched that show? And I don't think it's as popular today as it was maybe before COVID, but the show Fixer Upper. Chip Gaines, Joanna Gaines. Uh, some of you might know that show, but one of my favorite days on that show is the first one. And the first day is known as what? Demo day, right? You take your sledgehammer in the house and you just have fun. You destroy everything that looks complete. And you got to rip it all out because what's about to come in? All the new stuff. In order to get the new stuff in the house, you got to get the old stuff out. But as they're ripping old stuff out of the house, what do they discover? Problems. Older stuff, right? Foundation has got a crack or a sill plate is rotten or these other things. And you know what? It's no big deal on the show for them to come in with a sawzall or with a concrete saw or whatever they need to do. And what do they do with the old stuff? They get it out. And as soon as they get it out, what do they put back in? New stuff. And you know what? God says this, out with the old, in with the new. Get the old stuff out of your life. That life that you had before, Christ, is not who you are today. You are a new creation. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I like Demo Day. I like watching them rip out all the old stuff and take care of all the problems in the skeleton. And they start with a blank slate. And Jesus Christ says, when you become a Christian, when you are in Christ, you get a new slate, you get a new name, you get a new future and a new beginning. When God comes into our lives, he simply does not overlook our sinful past. Instead, he forgives it and removes it so that it doesn't have power over us anymore. If we confess our past to Jesus... He gives radical forgiveness. To confess simply means to agree with God, doesn't it? What does confess really mean? It means to agree with God. When he says we're out of bounds, what do we do? We either fight him or we agree with him. If we fight him, we're not confessing. When we agree with him, we say, you know what? You're right, God, and I need to change. When remodeling a house, it's always important to get rid of that old stuff. If you got termites and you just put new sheetrock up, what eventually happens to the house? It's going to rot from the inside. It's going to fall apart from the inside out. And you know what? If you try to clean up the outside of your life without the actual transformation occurring, you are going to rot from the inside out. But God says, I make you a new creation. You're no longer bound by your past. You are... You are Today is the new day. Take up your cross today and follow me. Look at Psalm 103, verse 12 with me. I love this, this one. There's a song, that's a modern song written about this as, as well. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgression from us. I never understood this verse until I really became a pilot. When you become a pilot, you realize that this is true. If I were to take off out of Sock Center today and fly east... And I flew all the way around the world until I got back to Sock Center. What direction did I fly? Why not west? If I were to take off west out of Sock Center and fly all the way around the world and get back to Sock Center, what direction did I fly? Yeah. 
Now, if I flew north out of Sock Center and went all the way around the world, what direction do I come back? Why did God know that the east and west is the way he had to define it, not north and south? Because if I fly north, eventually I'm going to fly south. And I'm going to come from the south and I'm going to land back to the north again. But if I go east, I continually go east. If I go west, I continually go west. And Jesus says in his word here, that as far as the east is from the west, your iniquities have been removed. Now let me ask you a question. When will east and west ever collide? So how far are the iniquities gone? So why are we held hostage by our past? Why do we want to be held hostage by our past? Why would we do that? We don't have to walk around defeated. We don't have to walk around in shame anymore. If we're a Christian, we're a disciple of Christ. We live like we're a disciple of Christ. We're not a defeated enemy. We are a child of God. So walk in light as he is in the light. Walk like your dad. Do what your dad does. I love what verses 18 through 20 of chapter 5 says. It says this, All this is from God, who through Christ Jesus reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. If you need purpose for your life, if you want to know why the day you got saved, God just didn't kill you and take you right to heaven, why you're still here is because he's given you a ministry. Every believer today has a ministry of reconciliation. Not pastors, everybody does. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. What did God not use to judge you? He didn't use your past. He didn't use your past to judge you. He didn't do it that way. He didn't count their trespasses against them and entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. God says, I don't care what your past is. I care about today. I care about right now. I care about your future. I care about where you're going and what your purpose is and and why you're still here on earth. I care about that, but what you've done in your past is done. It's over. It's in the past. You can use it for my glory, but you're not bound by it. You're not tied to it. By the way, I think this is God's greatest gift of all. It means that getting our... Getting past our past is not something we can do on our own. It's something that Jesus Christ does for us. This is why we're a new creation. You can't create yourself new. You can't do it. But he can. We can't overcome our mistakes. We can't make up from doing bad things. We, we can't redeem those times. But we can, through the power of Jesus Christ, use the events of our past to reach other people who are going through similar things. And by the way, that's what makes you unique in the people that you can witness to versus who I can witness to because you have things in your past that are going to relate with others that I don't have. And that's why each of us has a ministry. That's why each of us has an opportunity to share. Some of you have lost spouses. You have a ministry there. Some of you have... have recovered from alcoholism and depression and things like that. And you have a ministry there. And some of us grew up in Christian homes and never went through any of that stuff and can't relate to what you can relate to. But then they'll relate to people who you can't relate to. And this is why each of us has a ministry 
in Christ Jesus. Look at number two. God's love for us and God's love through us. These are two different aspects of the same thing. God is interested in the entire world being reconciled to himself. He says that. He doesn't want anyone to live a life weighed down by sin or by their past or shackled by guilt. God gave grace to all. He gave mercy to all. He's made available to all. God extended his grace and mercy through Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And now we are called to be ambassadors who will implore others to confess their sins and be reconciled to God as well. A love for God. Check this out. This is, this is a key thing to understand too in our witness. A love for God is better caught than told. What does that mean? It's better caught than taught, if you want to say it that way. That means this. People want to see Jesus make a difference in your life, not just hear you talk about it. People want to see a difference in your life. What is the difference between a guy who trusts the parachute and one who doesn't? Confidence, right? Confidence. When the airplane is going to crash, a good pilot will ride it in, right? And try to save it. But me, I've never jumped out of an airplane. I've never used a parachute. I've never put a parachute on in my life. What if I was going up against one of the Golden Knights of the U.S. Army? And we're in an airplane together. How many of you know who the Golden Knights are? They're the demonstration parachute team of the U.S. Army. These guys have over 10,000 jumps under their belts out of airplanes. Do you think he's going to hesitate to jump out of the airplane? No. He's going to go out backwards doing a backflip, right? I'm going to stand at the door hanging on for dear life. And somebody's going to have a shoe in the middle of my back and my arms are going to be even further back than they've ever been because I don't trust it. I don't have confidence in it. And honestly, if I were up there, I wouldn't want to talk to anybody about it either. It's either going to happen or it's not going to happen. And that's my choice, not yours. Until somebody chucks me out the door. But we don't talk about things that we're not confident in. You ever notice that? We don't talk about things that we're not sure about. So why don't we talk about Jesus Christ? You see, people don't want us to lecture them. They want to see you live it. They don't care what you know until they see you actually live it out. And this is the problem with this idea that we can just walk around, slap people up the head with a Bible, and they're going to get saved. If the messenger and the message don't match, it's disingenuous. It's not real. I, I saw this during COVID. You watch people walking around scared to death to die. Do you realize 100% of people are going to die? 100% of people are going to die. For the wage of sin is, and for all have, so all sinned, and sin equals death, thus all people are going to what? So let me ask you a question. Do you have an appointment with death? Who knows the time and place that you're going to die? So why worry about it? Is he going to change it? Was it predetermined before the foundation of the world when and how you were going to die? Does God not know this in his omniscience? Sure. 
So why do we walk around acting like we can stop it? I, I, th- this just goes opposite to theology. By faith, Moses did this. By faith, Abraham did this. By faith, and you can go all the way through Hebrews chapter 11. You see all these guys did radical, stupid stuff by faith. Noah built a boat. How many days did it flood prior to him building an ark? How many days did it rain prior to him building an ark? Noah, how stupid are you, man? Hey, God told you it's going to rain. Well, hey, it looks like rain today, man. 120 years he built that ark, didn't he? 120 years they made fun of him. Until one day they didn't. They pounded on the side of the boat and wanted in. But how silly was it for them to look that way? You know what? It's silly for Christians to live like the world and then expect our witness to have power. Noah had power. Why? Because he was different. Christians are different on purpose. We're not living for the things of this world. We're living outside this world. We're living for the things that are going to happen after this life, not during this life. Now, is it wrong to accumulate things in this life? No. But if they control your existence, then yes. Let's get back to the passage here. People don't want to have you lecture them about, have you lecture them. They want to see you live what you believe. If you see the joy that comes from knowing God and the freedom of being free in Jesus Christ from our sin, then then people are drawn to that reconciliation. Well, how do you know that you have eternal life? How can these things be? How many times in the gospels do you see people respond that way? Uh, how, how does this work? Does a man crawl up in his mother's womb a second time that he'd be born of water? How, how, does that, how does that even work, Jesus? Nicodemus, John 3, right? Ethiopian eunuch, he's sitting there reading in Isaiah and he's like, I don't understand this. And Philip comes along and what? Tells him all things that per- pertain to the passage of scripture. And the Ethiopian eunuch on his own says what? Here's water. What more to, needs to happen that I should be Baptized. He figured it out. A love for God is contagious. People want to hear that it means something to you. I want to do an experiment here real quick, and I only have a couple minutes here, so you're going to have to work with me on this. I want you to turn to somebody next to you, and in a moment, I want you to tell them your favorite movie, your favorite baseball team, or your favorite historical event that ever happened. All right? That's all I want you to do. Turn to the person next to you, somebody around you, and tell them either your favorite team, your favorite movie, or your favorite historical event. Ready? Three, two, one, go. All right, three, two, one, stop. How many of you scared, were scared to share that? How many were terrified that they might find out that you're a follower of some weird movie, some dumb b- baseball team, or, or some cursed baseball team? You know what? You didn't fear that because you're passionate about that thing that you just shared with somebody else. And because you're passionate about it, you didn't hesitate. You didn't really have to think about it. And you never had a chance to overthink it. Why is it that when it comes to Jesus Christ, we're not the same way? 
What holds us back from sharing the things that we're passionate about, the things that we love, the things that we so endear our eternal destiny with that we're afraid to share it with somebody? I mean, I heard a couple things just over, over the, the voices. I don't even know whose voice it was. I just heard the words. And a couple of them I was like, oh, I, I don't like that. But you didn't feel rejected because I didn't like it. You NASCAR fans. <laughs> I heard that out there. I don't not like NASCAR, but who can't turn left? <laughs> who can't step on the pedal all the way? I mean, come on. I just there. But you know what? The experiment is this. You didn't hesitate to tell somebody what you believed. You weren't ashamed of what you believed. And you were confident in telling the person what you believed in, and regardless of whether or not they liked it or not. Now, here's the next part of it. I want you to look at the person next to you and tell them how much money you're getting back on your taxes. I'm just kidding. Don't tell that, okay? <laughs> but all of you did the same thing at the same moment. Everybody rolled their eyes in the back of their head and cocked their head like, I don't think I want to share that. Maybe it's because of shame. Maybe it's because you get a lot back. Maybe it's for whatever reason. You know what? But what we're passionate about, we'll share and we won't think about it. We don't care the consequence because we're passionate about it. You know, I could say, I could have said the same thing about share what your last diagnosis was at the doctor. I could, I could, you could substitute so many things that we would be cautious in sharing, right? Either because we're worried about it or because we got a problem with it or we're ashamed of it or whatever reason. But when it comes to Jesus Christ, we should not be afraid or ashamed of our dad, our spiritual dad. When you, when you are passionate about something, it just oozes out of you. How many of you have realized I like flying? It comes out, right, in illustrations. It comes out in the way I talk sometimes. It comes out in the actions I do. You see pictures of it. I enjoy it. It's something I, I grew up around, something from my past that I enjoy. And I'm not afraid to talk to pilots who are way smarter than me. Do you think if I walk up to an airline pilot, I'm like, oh man, I just don't know what you know. No, I can talk to an airline pilot and say, all right, I've never flown a 737 before, but I've flown a Lear 45 flight simulator at Bombardier in Wichita, Kansas. And so I know how jets work. And, and how, do you, how do you stay ahead of the airplane when the airplane is so slow to respond? And, and how do you, when you don't have the feel and it's all electronic, how do you know what the flight control, and you know what, I can sit and have an intelligent conversation with him and he's not gonna look at me like, you dumb private pilot. Aren't you cute? You know how to fly a little whirly bird. He doesn't think that. You know what he thinks? Man, we're both pilots. And this guy's, this guy's young and I can, I can teach him something as we converse. I can teach him something. You know what's funny is how many times even the younger pilot can teach an older pilot something that we learned in flight training that they, did, they weren't taught years ago, that today we're taught that and we share that and they bo we both grow in knowledge and in truth together in aviation. You know what? We should be able to just talk with people about Jesus Christ in a way that we either bring them up or we learn something by having a conversation with them. We're not trying to just simply smack them outside the head with Bible knowledge. We're trying to enter a relationship and grow one another in the, in the way of Jesus Christ. 
2 Corinthians 5.30.21 says this, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus takes our sin. He takes our mistakes. He takes our brokenness. He takes our past shame. He nails it to the cross and gives us the ability to live for Him. Let me share number three. Our wrongness is replaced by God's righteousness. Our wrongness is replaced with God's righteousness. There's an exchange or an interaction that takes place at the cross of Jesus Christ. We're going our way. We're doing our thing. Jesus Christ enters in, has us agree with him, and he turns us around. We repent, and we go a different direction as a result of that relationship, that interaction with him. And from that point forward, as we're walking the other way, we are no longer bound by what's happened in our life, but what, is dic- what we're dictated by is what Jesus Christ is currently doing in our life. Do you realize every Sunday, that's really what we're evaluating when we take to the Lord's table. We're not talking about what happened in our past that so we got to get rid of the past. Jesus already did that. The question is, what are you doing right now for Jesus Christ? Give us this day our daily bread. Take up your cross daily and follow him. You see, when we're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's no longer about the point of salvation. That's that's done. But now it's about what am I doing for him every day, every step, every moment, every hour, every time. What are we doing for Jesus Christ? The Greek meaning behind the righteousness of God has the idea that we were walking the wrong way and now we're on the right way. And because we're on the right way, we can accelerate. You ever, you ever uh, been in a city where you didn't know and you end up on a one-way road going the wrong way? Your tendency is the one to accelerate then, right? No. Your tendency is like, I got to turn around. I got to get out of here. I'm going the wrong way. I need to get off this road. I need to get pointed the right direction or I'm going to get in a car accident. Anybody been there? Everybody have to swerve around the other cars because you're going the wrong way and they're blaring at you as they go by? Like the horn helps in that situation, you know? I'm already freaking out. Now you blow your horn. Now I'm really freaking out. I had to wake a couple people up there. So... See, there's somebody else. Same problem. You know what? When we're going the wrong way on the one-way road for Jesus Christ, and he turns our car around for us and puts us on the right way, I don't think we feather the throttle in, do you? What do you do? Let's go, Jesus, let's go. Right? Hammer down. NASCAR it. Turn left. And you know what? Our wrongness is replaced by God's righteousness. And when God's righteousness is what we're walking in, why walk? Let's run. Let's run the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I was in preparation for this. I was reading a story. I have a book of illustrations that you can kind of look through, and 99.7% of the time they're dumb. And I don't use them. But this one I read, and I was like, wait, I know this company. So I came across a story of a company that made cake mixes for sale in grocery stores. And uh, they expected to be wildly successful because the ingredient list and the instructions were going to be so simple. So simple. 
All the public had to do was just add water. Cake mix, just add water. That's all you got to do. And they expected their sales to go out of the roof, that they were going to take the market by storm. And to their surprise, their sales not just did not increase, but they actually decreased by 70%. Hmm, what happened? So, of course, the marketers are like, whoa, what in the world happened here? Our sales are slumping. They didn't sell as they anticipated, so they began to do their homework. And after doing a little bit of research, they found out that their customers were uneasy about buying a cake mix that only required water. What's in this cake mix? How does this cake mix work? And uh, so they began to realize that they need to add more to it for it to be trustworthy. So they decided that they would revamp the ingredients and then make it twice as hard as they had made it. So instead of just adding water, now you have to add one egg to the mix. And when they added one egg to the mix, their sales not only restored, but they doubled the market and they took the market by storm. Simply by adding one egg. It was too easy. It was too simple. The consumers didn't trust it. You know what? Sometimes we're tempted to do the same thing with the gospel, aren't we? All somebody's got to do is believe it. They just got to put their faith in it. They simply got to trust Jesus Christ and that's it. But that seems like just like adding water, doesn't it? Just add water. It's too simple of an ingredient. So instead we try to add things too the gospel, and as we add to it, we actually mess it up. We need to take the gospel as simple as it is and share it with those that need to hear it. I found often that the truth that God has forgiven us of our past by the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is just too good to be true. Too good to be true. So because of that, then many think that they have to add something to it with penance or, or with money or with works or, or trying to earn something that actually is priceless. So rather than inviting somebody to simply believe and receive the love of God, they allow these other things to keep them from simple faith. On the flip side, we as those who have been saved by faith, sometimes we're guilty of the same thing. We're so afraid that the simple message is too simple that we try to compound it. Well, you got to really make sure you're saved. What verse is that? If I call upon the name of the Lord, I am saved. If I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, I am saved. We can't clean our lives up before we become a Christian. You realize that, right? You can't take a shower and then say the soap... Or the water, or you can't take a shower and then go out and play in the dirt and say, well, I took a shower this morning and I should be good. Temporary is temporary. Permanent is permanent. If God has done the work and God has done the saving, you don't need to clean your life up before you get right with God. You can get right, be forgiven of the past, and sanctification is the act of God cleaning up your life. And for the rest of your life, you'll be walking with him. And what are the odds that every day you walk with him, he's going to make you more like himself? If you're truly saved. But if you're not saved, after you, get, after you make a profession of faith, what's going to happen? You're going to revert back to the old things of life and you're going to keep doing what you were doing before you were saved. Why? 
Because many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, did we do not do this and that in thy name? And he'll say, depart from me. I don't know who you are, you illegitimate child. You took my name, but you're not part of the family. I don't know who you are. I never knew you. Don't let your past keep you from serving Jesus. Don't let your past keep you from sharing what you're passionate about. And let's take on the ministry of connecting lost children with their heavenly father. Because you know what? We do it with our phones every day, don't we? Amber alerts. There it is. We got to start looking for this Jeep Cherokee that's silver and has a Minnesota license plate. Well, that narrowed it down. But you know what? They found them. They found them. And they found them off the description of a car. How in the world? And you know what? We can find people too as we go out and we live for Jesus Christ and we begin to share the hope that's within us with meekness and fear. People are hungry today. They are starving today to experience real joy, real freedom, and new life. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no man can come to the Father except through me. Do you believe that today? Let's go out and live it this week for his glory, shall we? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that it's quick and powerful. And I thank you, Lord, that it is good for all time. Whether it was in the Garden of Eden or it's the last event on this earth, Lord, that you are God and you are the orchestrator of the events of that time. And Father, I pray that it, just like your word says, as far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our iniquity from us. And Father, I pray that if our past is holding us hostage or we're using our past as reasons and excuses for why we can't do great things for you, then Father, I pray that we would take our eyes off the past and place them on you. Father, I pray that you would give victory in those areas and, and have, have the devil defeated in these areas once and for all because we are a new creation the old things are passed away and behold, all things are new. And we have this confidence. We have this hope that is found in Christ Jesus. And you have given us a ministry of reconciliation. So father, help us to, to live like we're on a constant Amber alert for those who are spiritually missing, for those who are caught in the snare of the world who need Jesus Christ. And father, may we be there to share the hope that's within us with meekness and fear by sharing our story of the great things that you've done for us. And Lord, I pray that you would draw people to yourself and that you would get the glory and the increase because yours is the power and the glory forever and ever. All God's people said, amen.